This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Today we are joined by Christine Reed, otherwise known on the trail as Lady Unicorn. Her new book, Alone in Wonderland, is a memoir that shares her journey on the Wonderland Trail. Love, grief, self-acceptance, and so much more are shared from an independent woman's perspective. Welcome to the podcast, Christine. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. So I kind of started reading reading a little bit of your book, but I would just love to get a little bit of background information about where all of this came from for you. It sounds like you found the through hiking life through just surfing the internet. Yeah. So after college, I was working at a job in health insurance and I wasn't really a hiker. I wasn't really outdoorsy. And I was just kind of lacking direction after college and wondering what I was supposed to be doing. And I found a blog about the Appalachian Trail and I was just really struck by the people on there telling their stories and sharing their passion and this drive to like get out and experience this sort of lifestyle for just a short period of time, I found really compelling. And I thought I need to do that. So like the outdoorsy lifestyle wasn't anything you ever did before. Like, and it seems like you're really into rock climbing too. Like that was never a part of who you were. Nope. I was really studious and about school as a kid and not athletic. I didn't play sports. I didn't go outside. Um, I lovingly refer to my family as a group of indoorsy people. Right, right. Yeah. And that's like so cool that you just kind of, I mean, I think that's what the trail is for with a lot of people. They go out there and a lot of them have never been camping a night in their life. And that to me is always so like surprising to hear because I'm more of like a section hiker or just even like a daytime hiker a lot of the time. So when I talk to people like this, I'm always just like struck and amazed that you just like found it and then just like went out for this big six month of adventure. Yeah. So I, I did take a year of planning before I went. I wasn't one of those people who like heard about it the day before. Um, but there are those people. And that I think is one of the things that makes it so accessible is like you don't have to do a whole lot of research into the trail to find out that there's a bunch of people out there who don't know what they're doing. And they're just figuring out as they go along. And it's very welcoming to be like, well, that guy didn't have any experience and he made it. So I guess I could do that. Right, totally. So, and what year was that in that you went out to do the Appalachian Trail? 
2015. Okay, so 2015. And did you successfully complete the whole thing? Um, my mom passed away while I was on the trail. And so I didn't finish, but I hiked 650 miles. Okay. Yeah, I think I remember reading that part in, or somewhere hearing that part on a podcast as well. So you found out that your mom had passed well on the trail. Yeah. So I actually was only a couple days in. Um, I was at Gooch Gap, which is less than 20 miles from the start of the trail. Um, and I got a text message from my dad, like, well, a whole bunch of text messages saying like, call me, where are you? What's going on? Like answer your phone. Um, and so I called him and he told me like, you need to come home right now. Um, and she had not died yet at that point, but they, you know, she was in the hospital and they knew, um, it wouldn't be long. So I was very lucky and, um, there was trail magic happening at Gooch Gap while I was there and somebody was able to give me a ride. Um, to the Atlanta airport that night. So her her death was something that you guys, did you know it was going to be coming? Sort of not really. Um, she had been in treatment for breast cancer for two and a half years, but there was not really an indi- indication right beforehand that things were going south. It was just, you know, she was in rounds of chemo and radiation and different things. and And it was just kind of more of the same for two and a half years. So we didn't really expect it to happen so suddenly but I think that's kind of always the way those things happen right right for sure I mean life is unpredictable death is very unpredictable all those things it's one of those very unknown things and that's another thing you guys talked about in a podcast at one point just like nothing is permanent and people need to like be okay with things not being permanent in life I loved that part I think that was in your not the hiking through podcast but the other one you were on was I was really like, I loved that part. So you had to get off the trail and work through your mother's death. So during that time, were you compelled to go back to the trail at all throughout that time to like heal? Um, I, so I had only hiked three or four days when she died and I, I left and went home for um, the memorial service and to be with my family. And I thought, oh, I just spent a year and a half of my life planning this trip and now it's over. Um, and then when I was home, one of my kind of more distant family members asked me when I was going back on the trail again. And I was almost kind of offended by it. Like, how dare you suggest that I'm going to go hiking? My mom just died. Like I'm supposed to be here doing things you do when your mom dies. And I didn't really know what those things were. And it quickly became apparent to me that my presence in the house, um, was making things more difficult for my dad. And, you know, he looked at me and saw her, which is completely understandable because we look the same. And um, I, you know, I talk and I act like her. And and so it was just, I could tell that it was, it was really hard on him to have me there like her ghost. Um, and so I took about a week off and, and I did go back on the trail right afterwards. Um, once I realized that my presence wasn't really needed at the house and that I might as well go and, and I guess kind of deal with my own stuff. And so I went back out and that's when I hiked um, most of that time. So I did get a lot of time immediately after her death on the trail. And when I went back out, I thought, I don't really have a goal of finishing the trail anymore. You know, my, my meaning of being out there had kind of changed. And so it became a little bit more about dealing with the grief and about reconciling my idea of who I was compared to her and how 
being raised by her affected me as a person and and my relationship with her and like how I want to move forward with my life. Um, and so I kind of told myself, like, I'm just going to hike until it doesn't feel like the right thing to do anymore. And so I hiked 650 miles and then Parisburg, Virginia. Um, I talked to my dad on the phone and I had a lot of mixed feelings and I, I started to feel like I should be thinking about going home. And then about 20 miles after that, I called a friend and had them arrange a ride for me. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I know so many people like, um, there's another person I had on the podcast who like worked through like a road trip to work through grief of the loss of his father. So it seems like going out there can really help people sort their thoughts because that's kind of all you have when you're, there's nothing else surrounding you. So all you can do is kind of sit in your thoughts. Yeah. Like, are you glad that you did that? I mean, it sounds like there's just some mixed feelings about it a little bit. Always with everything. <laughs> um, I think that it was what I needed at the time. And I think that I'm incredibly grateful that I already had that time set aside so that I had the opportunity to do that. Because a lot of times when you lose, you know, one of the most important people in your life, you don't have 10 weeks of time to be in your feelings about it and do nothing else like I you know I wasn't responsible for anything during that time other than walking and I got to choose every day like how much walking do I want to do how much sitting do I want to do and thinking and and I was really conscious during that time about the type of people that I hiked with and spent time with and I really spent probably more time alone than most people do on the AT just because there's so many people around um but I was a little antisocial and and only if somebody kind of broke through the exterior and really like listened to me talk about my mom, did I spend more than a day with anybody. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's really hard about grief is that when it's someone super close to you, you it, the grieving period is a long time. And even your best friends or your family eventually grow tired of hearing you talk about the person. And so one of the things that was really lovely about the trail was I had a lot of people at my disposal and nobody had to listen to me talk about my mom for more than a day if they didn't want to. <laughs> um, but I had the opportunity to really talk about her and, and I met another hiker who had lost his dad. And so we spent a day hiking and talking about our parents and our lives. And that was really lovely. And I hiked for a few days with a woman who was around my mom's age and she had a daughter my age and we talked about my mom. And so I really had access to a lot of people I wouldn't have had in my regular life um, who had a lot of different insights and different life experiences. And so as much as the hiking and, and what the physical act of being out there was doing for me, I also had such great exposure to so many different people that I would never have met in my regular life who were all just like one little puzzle piece in my healing and moving forward. Well, right. And that's like a really unique way to heal and move forward, I think, because so many people, when a death happens, especially with someone close, you're with people who know that person who ha also had a relationship with that person. And they're grieving maybe differently than you are because their relationship was so different with that person. So to have like a third party on the trail, just like who didn't even know your mom is a really unique situation. And I can see how that can be re really healing in itself. Definitely. And I think one of the things that I struggled with 
um, immediately after her death was seeing other people who I felt like weren't as close to her grieving. And I thought, how dare you be mad about my mom's death? Like, have you seen my dad? He's destroyed. And she was his life. And like, nobody deserves to be upset except him and even myself. And so like, I didn't, I wasn't giving myself room to like feel my own grief because I felt so strongly that like he was the only person who was allowed to be sad. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's so true in death. Like we want to, we want to protect our loved ones, but at the same time we have to respect our own emotions when that happens too. So yeah, you're out there meeting all these people. Then you come back. So was that kind of like the bridge to get you into all of this other stuff that you're now doing? Definitely. So I had been living in Arkansas um, with my parents. That's where you grew up? No, uh, my dad was in the military. So we moved around. Um, but I moved, we moved to Arkansas when I was 17. So I had like gone to college there and gotten a job and I was kind of like, had some roots. Um, but I wasn't super excited about being there. And, and I thought I probably wouldn't stay forever, but I didn't really know how to leave. So the AT really gave me a window, um, to go, just go somewhere else and try something different. So after the trail, I moved to Denver um, and I had some friends who lived in Denver, so it was like a, you know, soft transition to be able to go and, and know a few people. And, and that's where I really like got into rock climbing and I started running after the trail because uh, when you hike for eight hours a day and then you stop hiking for eight hours a day, your legs cramp up. That was my experience. <laughs> and so I knew that I had to keep moving. And so I started running. Um, and yeah, you can't like... Denver is just one of those cities where everybody is doing all of the activities. And so it's really nice because anything you want to try or get into, there are people doing it and there's people welcoming new people in and like willing to show you the ropes. Yeah. I think Denver is like very well known from that. That's what I've heard about. That's like what everybody says about it. So that's awesome. Like what made you want to go to the van life after going to Denver, which sounds so awesome. <laughs> Um, I worked a just like regular job for a couple of years in Denver and I started to feel really restless. And I think one of the things about long trail hiking or, you know, any type of alternative lifestyle where you kind of like quit your job, throw everything away, go do the thing. Um, it's really hard to go back to being like a regular nine to five person again after that. And so, you know, they talk about post-trail depression and things like that, where people go do something and then they have to like transition into somewhat like what their life was before. And then you feel like you've moved backwards. And so you either have to change how you're doing things or just never go back to regular <laughs> life. Um, and so once I was working the job in Denver for a while and I was trying to like repair my resume from my time off and I just got to a point where I was like, I don't really think this is what I wanna do. And so I was looking for other options I'd gotten into the rock climbing community a bit and van life is very popular among rock climbers. So I just kind of had access to that community and I thought that seems pretty cool. So I bought a van. I was planning on working for another like six or eight months after I bought the van, but then I went on a road trip in Australia for 18 days. And when I came back, I just quit my job the next day. <laughs> and that's when you just went out in your van. Cause you yeah. didn't bring your, you didn't bring your van to Australia, obviously. No, no. <laughs> you didn't no. ship it across. 
Um, no, my friend who was living in Australia at the time had this little bitty beater car that we drove up and down the coast of Australia. And so we tent camped and I thought if I can do that for 17 days and have a great time, then I could definitely live in a van and just like go off. Right. For sure. So, I mean, did you like build this van, like build the inside of it all by yourself or was it like already built out when you got it? The first van I had was like an old um, Dodge Ram passenger van. And when I bought it, it still had the seats in it. So I, with the help of some friends, um, took the seats out, took the carpet out, put a plywood floor in and made a bed out of two by fours. And that was pretty much as much building as went on. Like it was uh, pretty scrappy. So (laughs) I lived in that for a year and a half. Um, and by that time it had broken down on me so many times and it just got to a point where it was like, okay, if I'm going to commit to this life, then I should be like slightly more comfortable and not breaking down in the middle of nowhere and, you know, potentially getting murdered or whatever (laughs) happens. Um, and so, you know, I had just gotten broken down, like on the side of the road in so many places. And I was like, this is not sustainable. Um, so I upgraded and got a Ford Transit, um, a pretty new one. It was a 2018 because I wanted something reliable. Um, it got better gas mileage. The air conditioning actually worked. There was a lot of plus sides. <laughs> and so yeah, anytime I talk to people that have lived in vans, it's like, there's always this like long running list of all the problems. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I upgraded in fall of 2018, um, and, and got the Transit, And then that one I had professionally built. So I like picked everything and did a design and uh, a van builder called Nirvana Outfitters in Massachusetts built it out. Oh my gosh, a van outfitter. That's pretty sweet. Like I, cause most people I've talked to have like done it themselves, but like, that's like a really good business to go into these days with like the popularity of van life is just like on the extreme rise these days. It is. Yeah. And there's a bunch of people in the business now. And even, I mean, I looked at, at builders in Colorado because that's where I was kind of home basing and all of them were booked out two years or more. Two years. Wow. Yeah. Like they're just now building the vans that they had on the books when I called them in 2018. That's wild. Oh my gosh. Talk about sustainable jobs. (laughs) So when you were living in this van, I mean, how often did you stay in a place? Did you usually like go to van meetups? And how did, yeah, how did that work? Um, I didn't do a whole lot of like van community stuff. I did go to a couple of women on the road meetups and that was pretty much it. I know there's like a big circuit of kind of van conventions and like, you know, rubber tramper stuff. There's a lot of community around it, but I really didn't get into it. I kind of did my own thing. And I spent a lot of time alone. And honestly, that's one of the things I talk about in the book a lot is when I got in the van and I got on the road, I really found myself isolating, um, which is an easy thing to do when you live in a van. Cause you have this little pod that you go around in and it's very safe and comfortable and that's your space. And it's easy to not get out into the world and like interact with people even if you're out there hiking or doing, you know, I was still going out and going running and hiking and, but I was just doing it all by myself and then going back to the van. And like, do you think that was still part of your grieving process from your mom in a way? Um, I think that it was more a carryover of what I originally had wanted 
by hiking the Appalachian Trail, which was this idea that I needed to go out and like assert my independence as a woman. And so before my mom died, when I was planning on the AT, I, I kind of was, um, I wanted to go hike to prove something to myself and to prove something to the world. This like, I'm independent, I'm gonna go do this hard thing. And like, that really was what I was hoping to get out of that experience. And then because my mom died, I got a whole other experience out of it. And so I feel like I still had the remnants of this idea that I needed to go out and like prove my independence. And so I think the van life thing was just a second iteration of that. Um, And also this kind of searching for identity, like who am I? And so I had gone backpacking and I thought I'm a backpacker now and, and had gone and done that. And then I saw people doing this van life thing. And I thought, I want to be that person. I want to be a person that lives in a van. Um, And so it was a little bit more of like a personal searching. Yeah. And like, I mean, do you feel like you've found that identity now? Because I think so many people like, yeah, want to find their identities through like hobbies and things that we're doing. But people are a big like grouping of all these things that we do. So do you do you feel like you've found your identity within everything you now do? Um, I think that we don't really have an identity, so to speak. <laughs> like we, you know, I'm myself and all the things that that makes up. But I think that sometimes we get really attached to the idea of who we are by these different labels. And then we have a hard time like letting go of that or letting new things in. And so we, um, we say like, I'm a van life person. I'm a backpacker, I'm a climber. And at a certain point, like you can only be so many of those things to the point of labeling yourself them um, before you run out of space. Like, and, and at what point as a climber, do I have to climb once a week to be a climber or do I have to climb every day to be a climber or once a month? Or if I only climb twice a year, am I still a climber? You know, we get these these ideas about what those things mean. And I think there's so many people out there ready to judge and put labels on people as like posers and fakers for saying their things. And then they're like, well, they only do that once a year. So they're not really a climber. And so I think it's hard to say like, I found my identity, right? Cause it's something that's always evolving and changing. And maybe this year I'm a climber and next year that's not the thing that I'm focused on anymore. And I backpacked in 2015 on the Appalachian Trail, and then I didn't backpack for two years after that. But it was still something I thought about as who I was, because it was something I had done that really formed who I am. Right, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's so true, because yeah, like you said, backpacking, you haven't done it for a couple years, and like, I haven't backpacked since last summer. Like, I went one time last summer, but I still consider myself like someone who likes backpacking. I just haven't done it in a really long time because like so many life shifts have changed. like, I became a mom too. Like now, like that is a whole like identity shift as well. Like huge changes. So yeah, I mean, that's so apparent to think about and thinking about it too. There was this person in the woman who hike group specific to Minnesota where I live, who wrote, um, like, a. there's a whole thread of a conversation about it, how people were saying how she, she wrote that, she goes out hiking every single day on long, or not every day, but a lot on long hikes, but she's never actually 
slept overnight at a campsite, but she still considers herself a backpacker. So it's, it's all perspective. And like you said, like the judgments are going to come out, but it's like, it's how you see yourself in the end. And that's really all that matters. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think your identity is a combination of the things that form your view of yourself. And like, you get to say those things like you, you know, and, and that's a big part of the book is about like, like choosing the things you want to be and then like going and being them and in whatever form that takes for you. So if you say, I want to be a hiker and that means for 12 weeks in the summer, I hike on Saturdays, then like go do that. And then you can say you're that. And like, if you don't succeed in doing that, does that mean you don't get to call yourself a hiker? Like, no. (laughs) So, and I think it's one of those things, like when you talk to people who are just getting into new things, like people who just started running, they're like, oh, I run, but I'm not a runner or I hike, but I'm not a hiker. And I feel like we sometimes struggle to like take those things on as part of our identity because we feel like we're not good enough, which is so silly. Like, are you out doing the thing? Are you enjoying it? Do you think about that as something that's like making you who you are? Then you're definitely that thing. And you don't have to be like good at it for <laughs> to, to claim it, you know? Right, right. I love that perspective. Like just, just own what you're doing. So, I mean, is that kind of what people can expect from your book? Just that it kind of like walks through this whole self-identity, self-acceptance. I mean, I'm in the part right now where like you're, you're going out and drinking and meeting lots of people. Like it seems like you have lots of like you talk a lot about your relationships with the guys that you're meeting throughout the book too I mean talk to us a little bit about what what we can expect I mean there's I'm not even that far into the book and there's so much (laughs) yeah I mean it definitely is an exploration of identity I think that's that would be like the overarching theme um and then an exploration of the idea of loneliness and independence and just like what is the difference between those things and how do we claim our independence without kind of forcing people out of our life and how do we like maintain relationship and, and find healthy balance between needing to prove that we're independent and just having like a normal, healthy relationship with our independence. Cause I think as women, a lot of us are told like, be independent, be strong. Like you don't rely on a man. And, and we take that sometimes too far. Um, And I feel like that's something I've talked to a lot of women in our age group about, and and a lot of them agree that they've gone through phases, at least, where their desire for independence, which is largely based in a desire to prove that they're independent, not that they truly desire this, like, idea of independence, (laughs) um, but that it's something they feel the need to, like, show Um, and that it has gotten them into trouble in ways where they end up feeling isolated and alone. And like, we are social creatures. We need community. We need support. And we live in a world where community is not what it used to be. And for us to then on top of that, personally push community away, it's just not like a way that we're going to thrive in the world. So, I mean, because it sounds like so, yeah, so much of your experience has been like being independent in your van and on the trail. So, I mean, at this point now, now that you've written the book, now that you've had all these experiences, do you feel like you've found a balance of independence versus community? 
I think so. It's, I mean, it's a lifelong thing, right? We're always kind of swinging like a pendulum back and forth, but I, one of the reasons I came back to Denver was because my best friend is here and now I have a wonderful partner here and I've built a little bit of a community where I feel like I have people I can call and rely on and people I see every week, even with COVID times, right? I like have somebody I go to the gym with and we do Zoom calls and we, you know, we do what we can to be in community during these times, but Um, I think for a long time, even when I lived in Denver before, one of the reasons I felt compelled to leave is because I felt too grounded in my community. And it was scary to me because I thought I need to be independent and I'm like relying on these people in too many ways. And so I ran away from that a little bit. And now when I left the Wonderland Trail, I came back to Denver because I thought, I think I'm ready to like really be part of a community and to rely on people and let people rely on me. And that was something I had avoided before. Well, yeah, and like, cause the trail, like community is such a big part of the trail. Like that's the part, like I'm not a through hiker. I've never been a through hiker. I don't necessarily aspire to be a through hiker, but like the community part of it is something that's like so appealing to me. Like I love meeting people on the trail, like whether it's just like, am I out on a day hike or just like an overnight hike? I just love talking to people. That's probably why I like podcasting, but like the community part of the trail is so, so big. So that's so interesting that like you were just like isolating yourself from that did you do that on the wonderland trail too and i don't know a lot about the wonderland trail i don't know if that is a community trail or not it's very different than the at um and that's one of the ironic things too right is so many people go out to through hike and they're like i'm gonna prove my independence i'm gonna go do the thing and like you're going to a place where there are thousands of people who are all doing the same thing you are like you're gonna make friends you're gonna call these people family you're gonna talk to them for the rest of your lives like that is not going and being alone Uh, like you have to work really hard to be alone on the AT and yeah, I made friends on the AT. I did spend a lot of time alone, but I was very intentional with that. Like I wanted to be alone and also not a lot of people wanted to hang out with me because I was like grieving. So, you know, there's, there's ways to be alone, but it's not easy. Um, the Wonderland trail is a little bit different because it's shorter. So it's only 93 miles and most people finish it in between six and 12 days. And people are hiking, it's a circle. So people are hiking clockwise and counterclockwise. So like you see a lot of people only for a day. And then even if you're hiking the same direction as somebody, everything is like permitted. So you don't just get to camp wherever you have assigned camping. So if you meet someone and you think this person's really cool, I want to hang out with them. Like you don't really have the option to do that because they have a campsite and you have a campsite. So if you're not going to the same place, you don't get to just like spend a week with the same person. So the community is just different in that way. And I still, I, I kind of made it a point on the Wonderland Trail to like interact with people every day. Cause the first day on the trail, I found myself kind of being a hermit and I was like, okay, don't do that. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to have a meaningful interaction with somebody every day. And I made a point of like going and finding somebody who was out there and just like having a real conversation with them. So I guess it was kind of the opposite of the AT for me. Like the community wasn't as engrossing, but I made a point of interacting with people anyway. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like it sounds like it's because it sounds like you'll still run into people every day on the Wonderland Trail, right? Yeah, you're not alone out there for sure. But the permit system. So you need a permit to camp at every campsite. Yeah. So they do like a lottery. Um, I think it's in the spring 
and it's incredibly competitive. So I met people on the trail who had been entering their name in the lottery six, seven years in a row. Um, but they reserve 30% of the campsites for walk-ups and not that many people walk up because it's at Mount Rainier and you have to like have two weeks off to hike. So if you went for a walk up and you've already taken the time off work and then you don't get one, then like, what do you do? Um, so not a lot of people take the risk to walk up. So if you do, you actually have a pretty good chance. So why did you choose to go do that trail? I was traveling in the van and I had been hanging out in Portland for a while. And a friend of mine was traveling through Washington and she called me and said, Hey, do you want to come do a day hike at Mount Rainier? And um, I said, yes. And I drove up there and we met and did a hike of the Fremont Lookout Trail. And she, she was on her way to Seattle. And so I went to Seattle with her for a day or two, but on the trail, when we did our day hike, I saw a sign for the Wonderland Trail. And I thought, Hmm, I'm pretty sure I've heard of that. And so I Googled it. And it was like 93 mile trail around Mount Rainier, blah, blah, blah. And I remembered that I had seen other AT hikers doing it and saying how wonderful it was. So I thought, oh, I should do that. <laughs> yeah, I had never even heard of it until I saw your book, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no. Which like surprises me because like Mount Rainier is a big deal. But yeah, I never heard of the trail. Yeah, it is spectacular. Highly recommend. <laughs> so how many days did it take you? I did 11 days. So that's like less than 10 miles a day. Um, but when I went to get my walk-up permit, I told the ranger who was like assigning the permits or the, the reservations that I wanted to be on the trail as long as possible. So there was one day I only hiked three miles. Okay. So, cause they have to like arrange the campsites like accordingly for that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. The, so how many people can be at a campsite per night on the trail? It depends on the site. So there's like 20 plus campsites um, around the loop. And some of them only have two spots. Some of them have like 12 spots. So it just, it depends on the site. And then they have like a computer system where they have everything booked. Okay. And you did this in summer of 2018. 18. And yeah. was that a good time to go do that trail? Yes. It was actually the, the first two weeks of August and all the wildflowers were blooming. So I would say that's probably the best time. Um, and there wasn't a lot of snow. There was only like one or two places where I crossed snow. Um, it was hot. I mean, there, it was like a heat wave when I was out there. So there was days that it was like in the 90s. Um, and there was a lot of bugs, but such as hiking. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Just, <laughs> that's just the life. Heat and bugs. I'll take bugs. I'll take bugs if I get to see wildflowers. Yeah. So what kind of a through hiker are you with like food? Are you one of those people that brings like just like a bunch of treats like chips and candy bars or like what kind of food do you do as for through hiking? Um, no, I did that a bit on the AT. I ate probably a lot of candy and cookies. Um, but I also was one of the only people I saw who was eating vegetables every day. So I had bought like dehydrated vegetables before the trail and I made all my own dinners. So I wasn't just eating rice and pasta, which was good. <laughs> um, it was still a hard adjustment coming off the trail because I had been eating like a jar of peanut butter every five days. And so my stomach was really in bad shape. Um, but the Wonderland Trail, I did uh, ramen with beet chips and kale chips and then oatmeal with like nut butter. And there was fresh, there was blueberries growing along the trail. So it was just like picking blueberries and putting them in. 
So you were eating pretty good. You were eating like fairly well balanced, I'd say, for a, a through hiker. Yes, I eat real food on the trail. <laughs> um, I'm a pretty healthy eater in regular life, and I try not to eat too much sugar. And then I'm like gluten free and dairy free and all the things. So I I do pretty good about eating healthy on the trail. So you were and like van life too, like you were living a pretty healthy van life as well. Yeah. So when I had my second van made, I told them for the power system, I needed to be able to run a Vitamix. And then I had a freezer, a fridge freezer. So I had like frozen berries and spinach and did like smoothies and things. Um, Every day when we were on our climbing trip last summer, I was like, it's three o'clock smoothie time, like do the thing. <laughs> so it's, it's important. I think when you, especially when you're on the road and like your body's under a lot of stress anyway, and not giving it the fuel it needs is silly. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've done like road trips, like two month road trips. And like, I definitely had to like, still had like a pretty like healthy lifestyle in order to just feel good every day. It's huge. So yeah, to think of through hikers who are eating like terrible food all the time is just, I just don't even know how they do that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different theories about it and there's definitely people who are like a calorie is a calorie. And I'm like, yeah, but not if it like makes your tummy hurt. <laughs> like right. there are just foods that make me feel bad. And like, do you want to hike when you feel bad? I definitely don't. But also you get cravings for things like I ate gummy bears on the AT, which I hadn't had in years, but somebody had some and they offered me one and I ate it. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting like five bags of these in the next town. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we all have those like <laughs> those cravings for sure. Right, it's all yeah. about balance. It's all yeah. balance, right? Yeah. We had, you've probably heard of Aaron Backcountry Foodie, who like has like a whole business off like making your own backpacking meals. Mm. She's super awesome to follow with for really good backpacking ideas. Yeah. Like food. Yeah. So what was it about like that trail that, did that trail inspire you to write the book or had you been thinking about writing a book? Um, it's something I've always thought like, oh, someday it would be cool to write a book. I think a lot of us like have that thought. Um, but I, I had the idea on the last day that I was on the trail and I had just been really existing in this space of like, why am I alone? And like, where should I be and what's going on? And like, am I doing the right thing with my life? You know, when I had been in the van and then I got on the trail, hoping I would get an answer to one of these questions. And, and then I kind of, one of the things in the book is like, as I'm on the Wonderland trail, I kept being asked by people like, are you alone? Why are you alone? Like people were asking me these questions and I was like, I don't know. And also I've been asking myself these questions and get out of my face. And so um, it was one of those things when, when you're having an internal struggle, the universe is going to reflect that back to you. And I felt like over the course of being on the Wonderland trail, I just kept having it in my face that I was alone. And I had been struggling with that before I got on the trail and it was just like a theme of what happened to me on those 11 days. And so I just had the idea um, on the last day that I think I'm not the only person who's feeling these things. And I think a lot of us are having these struggles about how alone should I be? How independent should I be? Are those things the same? What does that mean for me? And I came to a point of like, I, I wanted to explore those ideas and I also wanted to share it 
um, with other people who I thought were probably experiencing a lot of the same things and like didn't know how to put it into words. And that's always been one of my gifts, I would say, is like when my friends are going through things and we talk about it, I have a good way of reframing and phrasing and, and putting things into words when others are struggling. And I think I felt compelled to like use my words and to explore that and hopefully use that as a way to connect with other people who are also feeling alone. And I think one of the things that makes us feel alone is thinking that we're experiencing something that other people don't understand. And I think on a deep level, nobody is experiencing things that other people don't understand. Like we are all having the same emotional, mental, human existence. And sharing our stories is such a powerful way to connect and to let other people know that they're not alone. Yeah, totally. I think that's so powerful and so true that like when people are going through anything for that matter, it's just like you hide in your little shell in your own little world and you're you're the only one going through any of that ever. But yeah, like sharing stories is only going to help, pe- help people feel better about all this. So you got back from the trail and that's when you kind of started writing the book. Yeah. So I actually started like the day I got off the trail and I started with just writing kind of the narrative of my experience on the Wonderland Trail. And then I went back in and filled in the um, like overarching narrative, which started before the Wonderland Trail and kind of goes through like my mom dying and my time on the AT and then a little bit of the time in the van and just like the things that led me to hiking the Wonderland Trail. And I think a lot of those things I was just saying about being alone and feeling like no one else is experiencing what you're experiencing. Like a lot of those things are the things that call us to do big life stuff like through hiking is this idea that we like need to go out and leave our life behind and try to find something different. And we, we feel compelled to like go do something outside of our regular life, like a through hike. Um, and so that's a bit of the storyline of the book is like what led me to decide to become a backpacker and then kind of how that transformation over the last five years has gone. Right. I love that because it's, it is always just a transformation once you enter the outdoor world, but I think once you enter any big hobby, but I think especially in the outdoor world, there's a whole lot of exploring that people do and just there's so many stories and it's all just like this path that people slowly take. And so I love that there's like this whole book that you've now written. Were you writing it in the van? The Were you living in the van the entire time, basically? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, there was definitely periods of time, like last winter I spent uh, like a month and a half at my dad's house, just hanging out with him. Um, and then, uh, Oh my gosh, that was two years ago. Last winter, I was in Arizona for a little while doing the job. So like there have been times where I've like stayed with friends or um, like went to my dad's for a couple weeks or a month, Um, but mostly, yeah, living in the van. So I did a lot of writing in coffee shops and stuff. Right. Yeah, I'm sure. Or just like parking lots to like tap into their Wi-Fi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I know in your book, there's also some parts that are just um, strongly talking about like just like a woman's perspective and like how some uh, men who read it are like very surprised. What's that type of stuff about? Sure. So I talk a little bit about 
um, what it's like to be a woman moving through the world and, and dealing with the idea of safety and the risks and dangers um, that are out there. And I think, you know, any woman who talks about going on a through hike by themselves or moving into a van by themselves or traveling to another country by themselves is going to get a lot of feedback from their family and loved ones who are rightfully concerned saying, how are you going to be safe? Are you going to carry a weapon? Aren't you worried about crazy people? Aren't you worried about bears? You know, there's so many things that we are kind of told to be afraid of. And I'm definitely wouldn't say that there's not truth in that, like there are dangers in the world. And as women, we are at higher risk for those dangers. And like, that's all true, but there's a difference between being safe and being aware and, and knowing that there are dangers and then being afraid and letting it hold you back from living your life. And I think one of the things that was hard for my family was like the idea that I was kind of shirking my responsibility as a woman and saying like, I don't care if there's dangers, I'm going to go out there anyway. And one of the things that was hard for me was that I had been sexually assaulted in my town in Little Rock when I was working a day job and going to college. And so did I think it was going to be more dangerous for me to go hiking in the woods? No, like it's how could it be more dangerous when that had already happened to me in the city? So I felt like sometimes there's this weird idea of the things that are dangerous for women. And they're a lot of times not the things that are really dangerous. Um, we get told like, don't go in the woods, there's bears. And I'm like, yeah, the risk of me getting mauled by a bear is significantly lower than being held up in the street or sexually assaulted on a college campus. Right. It's so true. But like, yeah, I think back to like when I started backpacking and like, I was like, always so fearful of bears. <laughs> but yeah, it's so true. Like when you're in society, you're way more at risk for so many things. Yeah. Well, and people are like, there's like weirdo people in the woods that are going to jump out and axe murder you. And I'm like, okay, no, there isn't. And also if I saw somebody acting weird in the woods, I would get away from them. Just like I get away from weird people in the city. But the thing is, there's so many weird people in the city and you can't, you don't always recognize them, right? They're just walking around looking like normal people, at least weird people in the woods. Like you can tell they're weird. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I think the fear that people have though, is like when you're in the woods, you know, nobody can come protect you. So like, what would you say to that woman who's like, well, who's going to come protect me when I'm alone in the woods? And there's this crazy person. Who's going to come protect you when you're in the city? The other people around them. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen bystander videos? Like they might take right. a video of you getting attacked in the city. They're not going to do anything, you know? And if you're that worried about it, lots of people carry knives, lots of people carry bear spray. And that's a totally respectable thing to do. Like if you, if it makes you feel more comfortable, then great. And if it actually helps you in a bad situation, even better. But I've just never, I mean, I've carried bear spray in Wyoming when there are grizzly bears around. But other than that, I don't, I don't carry bear spray. I just think I've had enough interactions with bears at this point to know that they're pretty uninterested in messing with me. Yeah. Is it usually like the black bears that you've run into or the grizzlies? Always black bears. I've never been close to a grizzly. No, and I'm terrified of grizzly bears. Like, I don't hike alone in Montana or Wyoming. Yeah. But anywhere else, it's fine. 
So, and that's what I feel like is a calculated risk, right? Like I can say I hike alone in Colorado and in Washington and, you know, on the AT, it's only black bears out there. And so I don't feel like the risk is that high, but if I'm hiking in grizzly country, like I won't go alone. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's very fair. (laughs) Very, very fair. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, your book, I mean, is there anything else like really big in your book, like a big part of your book that you would like people to know about? Like, I mean, there's so much that we've already discussed. Um, no, I mean, I feel like we've covered so many different aspects. Um, but I think the big thing that I guess is the takeaway is like, it's a book about hiking, but it's not, it's not just a book about hiking. And so like the, the story is meant to be connecting to people in a much like greater level than just a story about hiking. Yeah. The other question I have is like, do you prefer backpacking or do you prefer the van life? I mean, they're so similar, but they're different. Yeah. So some of my friends who backpack and van, we like have jokes about like, you know, making your tiny house even tinier. You know, we went backpacking a group of my friends who we all live in vans over the summer and we went backpacking in Wyoming together and we all like parked our vans together and then like packed our backpacks together. And we were like, okay, like the tiny version of my tiny house and it's just a very different experience. There's something really lovely about living in a van and anywhere you go, everything you have is there. You never have to pack and you never have to think about what you need because it's all right there. And then backpacking, it's, I guess, kind of the same thing. Like you have to pack all your things from your van, but once you've got your pack, then it's like, you have everything you need. And I don't know, it's a very different thing, but it's also the same in so many ways. Like the first time I moved into the van, I thought, oh, this is just like backpacking because everything has a space. And if you put anything in the wrong space, everything's fucked and you can't like get anything like, right. Everything turns into a disaster. If like one thing is out of place. Um, and also just the little rituals and things that you have when you're backpacking, like you get up in the morning, you cook your food, you wash your pan, you pack your bag, you hike, you stop, you take the things out, you set up the camp. Like it's, it's exactly the same every day, right? You have these little routines and there's something really lovely and simple about that. And van life is also like that. Like you only have one pot to cook with. You only have one plate and one spork and you eat your meal and you wash your dishes and you put everything right back in its place. And in the morning you have to make your bed. Otherwise there's like stuff everywhere. And you just have this like, okay, I have to like unpack the things to do what I'm doing and then pack them all back. And it's just a very like simple routine kind of way of life. And I think if you follow any of these like productivity people who talk about routines and how to establish routines and like do this, you know, for house people, uh, (laughs) like they talk about how the brain um, like finds calm in those routines and how it like reduces people's anxiety and things. And so living those kind of lifestyles where you kind of have these built-in routines that you don't really have a choice about it brings a level of calm and, and lack of anxiety where you just are like, I woke up in the morning, I have to do these 12 things before I can do anything else. And so I have this routine that I do. It's a very similar thing with backpacking and van life. Right, for sure. And like the backpacking and van life are so, I love, it's so simple. And then like the house life, yeah, people need routines in the house life too, for sure. Like I get up and I have to make my bed. Like that is just like something that has to happen. But, like, when you think about a van, like, yeah, if you don't make your bed, it is 
it, like you're ha- you have such a small space that your bed is like also your couch in the van. <laughs> like, right. And your blankets are like taking over the world because they're not in their proper place. Like I can shut the door of my bedroom in my house and not look at the bed. So if it's not Maine, it doesn't affect the rest of my life. <laughs> but like making the bed is still a nice routine of like, once you've done it, you're like, okay, I'm like ready for the day now. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's like that psychological thing. So do you think going, cause now you're going to be transitioning to like house life. Is that, do you think you're going to take a lot of like what you've learned from backpacking and van life? I would assume there's going to be a lot of lessons you've taken as you establish into a house where you can fill all the things and all the things. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. I still only own one van's worth of belongings. So that helps. Um, but I think we do as humans find ways to fill the space that we're allotted, right? The bigger house you have, the more stuff you have. So I think those minimalist lifestyle things that I've had in the past are definitely going to carry over. Like, I don't want to be the type of person who is just like overflowing with objects. Um, And I also think the prioritizing of experience and of travel, like those things are still going to be high on my list. And I'm already planning this fall to do the Colorado Trail. Um, I'm really excited about having a house home base for that so that like my partner can ship my food and I can plan everything ahead of time and spread out and like look at stuff and and look at maps and you know things that are difficult in a van because you just don't have enough space to spread your stuff out but yeah the the priorities that I've developed in the last few years of my life with backpacking and with van life I'm I don't think I'll ever shake those yeah I mean I feel like once you've kind of experienced the, that in such a, that simple simplicity living can be so pleasing and so amazing with such little, you don't really necessarily need to go back to less. And it's definitely something like that I love about backpacking and yeah, I have a house. So it's like finding that balance. (laughs) It's, it's hard (laughs) because there is the space and you can fill it with the things. Yeah. But once you found contentment, with such a simple existence and so little belongings, like you can't unknow that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's always, it's always there for sure. Yeah. I love that. So where can people learn more about your book if they're interested or connect with you? Um, so I'm on Instagram at rugged outdoors woman and the website for the book is alone So you can order the book there. There's also an excerpt from the book that you can find through there, as well as some other articles and things that I've written. If you just want to get a taste for my writing, I can ship anywhere in the U.S. from that website. And if you are outside of the U.S., the book is available at bookdepository.com. And as far as I have seen, they do free shipping worldwide. Awesome. And yeah, I saw that you write for the Trek, too. Yeah. So I was a blogger for them. It's, it's kind of a funny story, but I had signed up to be a blogger for them in 2015 and I wrote like two blogs. And then when my mom died, I was like, I'm not going to be like the blogger whose mom died and is writing about her dead mom. So I didn't end up blogging, um, while I was on the AT, but I have gone back since and written some stuff for them. Um, and that's actually where I published the excerpt from the book. Oh, awesome. Well, oh my gosh, this has been super fun talking with you. Yeah, you too. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.